Hello, and welcome back to Mental Health Spot. This is Oli speaking, and this particular episode is one I have been very excited to record because it is one where I answer your questions. I chose five questions that were sent to me, five questions that I felt were important for me to address publicly because I feel so strongly that these five questions can help many, many, many people out there. Um, Just to know that A, there's other people going through it, you're not alone, and B, to hear my feedback on it. Now, before I get started, of course, usual disclaimer, if you are under the age of 18, please consult with your parent or guardian or trusted adult before continuing to listen to my podcast. My episodes get really real. We do discuss adult matters such as sex, relationships, drugs, just very heavy topics, depression, anxiety, and so it could be potentially triggering for someone that is underage. So please be safe and make sure that you make a safe decision about it with a trusted adult like your parent or your guardian. In any case, back to business. Now, I pride myself in being really, really real with you guys. I have been more authentic here on this podcast than I think I've ever been in my life, um, with the exception of a select few people, they know who they are, that know me on that very uh, vulnerable, open level. So I've kept it 100. I don't presume to have all my crap together just because I'm a therapist. Nah, that ain't how it works. I'm human. I have my struggles. I have my hardships. I have clients that I see that remind me of myself that remind me of experiences that I went through that I've since overcome, but it brings back feelings and emotions for me. And I need to process that with my own therapist who will be coming on the show. And that's all very normal. That's all part of being a therapist. Therapists have issues too. And I'm going to make an episode about that, actually, because I think people have this impression, like, if you're a therapist, you got to have your crap together. You can't have any issues. You know, you have to be 100% stable all of the time. You know, you can't have a moment of depression or anxiety. You know, I think that's all, you know, what it does is it, it... puts undue pressure on clinicians to le- to live up to unrealistic expectations. That's why it is so important for therapists to, you know, get um, the self-care in that they need. You know, get your self-care in, therapists out there that are listening to this, because if you don't, you will burn out. So therapists have problems too, okay? Most therapists see their own therapist. If it isn't because they have their own, you know, issues from childhood or, you know, relational issues, familial issues, whatever the case may be, it's because, you know, they want to talk about their clients in a private setting and process some of those cases. Um, Whatever it is, we all got issues, okay? So just because I'm telling you guys my feedback or rather giving you guys my feedback and I guess that's where I was going with it before I went on that tangent, it doesn't mean that I'm an expert, I know everything and Olivia has her shit together and you know she thinks she knows everything and she makes no mistakes, she does no wrong, false. With these questions that I'm going to be answering today, I want to admit that most of these questions 
if not all of these questions are things I'm still struggling with, are things that are still difficult for me to date. And the only way that I have been able to be functional and thrive in spite of adverse circumstances such as a difficult childhood is through doing the work in therapy. I have been in therapy since I was 13 years old. That is when I fell in love with it. And on and off, not consistently throughout the years, just to clarify. I wasn't in therapy from the age of 13 until now consistently, no. But the point is, that is when I fell in love with it. And I've done the work. I've gone there, you guys. I've sat in the hot seat for many, many years. I had the same therapist for a decade who would challenge the shit out of me. And she would hold up a mirror to me and say, this is you. Because that's what therapists do. We take that mirror and we hold it up to you so that you can really see your reflection. You can really see what you're doing to yourself. You can really acknowledge your maladaptive behaviors, your, your toxic behaviors, your toxic traits, so that you can really see the patterns that you're engaging in, why you're engaging in them. You know, I've done the work. I know why my childhood stuff still comes up in a lot of my relationships to date. Um, I know how to make connections between past and present events. I know how to do these things because I've done the work. I've been in therapy. And believe me when I tell you that there is no experience better than seeing a therapist, the right therapist. So all that to say, guys, I am not perfect, but I do have training in this field. Yes, I am a therapist. Yes, I did go to school for this. Yes, I have worked very hard to understand this and to understand myself more importantly. And so with that said, the combination of my own insight and self-awareness coupled with my years of training in this field is what I will be utilizing to answer the following questions. So let's dive right in. Okay. The first question. Mind you, I read the questions and I did not write down any responses. My responses are going to be right here, right now, on the spot. Here we go. This particular question, um, I knew I was going to choose it the minute I read it because it really, really um, is something I can personally relate to. What do you do when your family shames you or makes you feel guilty about your depression? Oh, man. Um, first of all, if you're listening, I, I really am sorry to hear that that's something that you're experiencing with your family. Um, I'm in this journey with you. I've experienced it with my own family many times I still experience it um I was just writing down a note um so that I wouldn't forget that I already answered that question anyway um there's a couple things I can say about this um Your family shaming you or making you feel guilty about your depression um, says a lot more about their inability to cope with what you're going through in an effective manner than about you. It says to me that your family is emotionally limited and does not have the skills or the capacity to comprehend what's going on with you. 
Um, at least that's the case nine times out of ten. There are times where people do understand and just don't want to be supportive um, for whatever reason. But those cases are very rare. Um, very, very rare. Most often, nine times out of ten, people that make you feel that way are making you feel that way because of their own inability to be a support to you because they don't know how to be because they're so limited. What I would suggest to you, which I've done, is to educate your family. And if they don't want to hear it from you, take them to a clinician, to a therapist, to a psychologist, so that a therapist can simply provide psychoeducation, educate them on depression, Educate them on the symptoms. Educate them on how it works and how it makes people feel. And educate them on the fact that there's going to be days that you don't want to get out of it. Educate them on the fact that there's going to be days that you eat too much or that you don't eat enough. Or that there might be nights where you're up all night and then there might be moments where you're sleeping all day. You know, educate them on the feelings of hopelessness and helplessness. On the feelings of low self-worth. Take them to a clinician that can explain that depression is a disease. It isn't something that you choose. Because I think that is also this old school mentality. Oh, you're depressed. So just feel better. Just snap out of it. As if it were that simple. But it's not. I would suggest sit down and calmly educate your family. If that doesn't work, and it most likely will not because I've tried it and um, my family is not incredibly receptive to my feedback, take them to a clinician, take them to a neutral person, to a neutral party that can explain this to them. In language and words, they will understand. Worst case, sit them down and say, listen, I don't expect you to understand my depression, but I expect you to respect me and to give me my space when I'm going through it. If you can't be a support to me and you can't just tell me that you love me and tell me that you're here for me, if you cannot do that, fine, but give me space. Leave me alone. Don't make it worse. Don't add fuel to the fire. My dad would literally see me cry growing up. And he, granted, most of the time it was because of him and our issues. But he would see that and he, instead of like seeing like, wow, my daughter is crying. She's visibly depressed, you know, her affect, her mood, everything is impaired right now. I should really back off. He would make it worse and he would say things and say things and say things and just I would go from just crying normal crying to like sobbing sobbing and to the point of inducing vomiting from how hard I was crying and it's hard for me to get over that it's hard for me to forgive that but I understand now that That's probably how he was treated when he was crying and he never did the work. He never went to therapy. He didn't have, you know, those resources available to him. And you and I are educated. You and I are smart. I know you have children. I do not yet. But I know that you are going to do this so differently with your own kids. And... I look forward to seeing you in action as a mom, continuing to see you in action as a mom, because I know that you're going to do it so differently. Um, Also, my friend, don't internalize it. This is their stuff. And I know, again, it's easier said than done because I internalize it so much. Um, 
But I'm saying it to you and I'm saying it to me. Don't internalize it. It isn't about you. This is their stuff. And I'm willing to bet that they've been a large, they've played a large role, had a heavy hand in contributing to your depression. And they may not want to come to terms with that, with that reality. They may not have the insights or the self-awareness to come to terms with that reality. Um, And so don't internalize it. I'm saying this to you. I'm saying this to me. Don't internalize it. I'm going to repeat it. Don't internalize it because it isn't you. It isn't your stuff. It's their stuff. They are limited. Find your tribe. Find people that do get it. Join a support group, whether it's online or in person. Build relationships with people who do get it, with people who do understand. Listen, I love my family. I really do. And there's nothing I wouldn't do for any of them, for my father, my mother, my cousins, my aunt, my uncle, all of them. I adore them. But they are not the ones that I choose to turn to when I'm in distress. Nine times out of ten. My aunt, yeah, I, I, I do I do talk to my aunt quite a bit. Um, my aunt can be very rational and very supportive. So she doesn't really count. <laughs> but even then, like, my aunt's coping skills are very different from mine. Not very different. <sighs> I don't know how to explain it. I'm not going to go off on a tangent about that, but the point is that occasionally I will speak to my aunt. Occasionally I will speak to my cousins, but I just don't feel like they a hundred percent understand my experience. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't love me or they don't care about me. Nothing like that. But there seems to be a disconnect or at least that's how I feel about it. And so I find people that I feel can either relate or understand it, you know, um, my, one of my best friends is a therapist and she did not have similar experiences growing up as a child that I did, but she is very empathetic. She's very compassionate. She's very understanding, non-judgmental, easy to talk to. And she's a therapist. (laughs) So she has experience in dealing with, you know, these type of cases that are similar to what I experienced growing up. Um, and, you know, I have other close friends that have experienced difficulties growing up. So they do get it. They do understand it on that level. Um, find people that understand that you are depressed that it's not a choice that you're making and that are willing to work with you, that are willing to sit with you in silence if that's what you need, that are willing to be with you even if you are sad. That is why I love one of my best friends who literally says, I would rather have a sad Oli than no Oli. If you need to sit there with me and be sad, I'm okay with that. You don't need to entertain me. That's not your job. Find people like that. You deserve it. Find people that can just sit with you when you're sad. Oftentimes, too, something I've found, family can be so close to us in a different way, so close to the situation that they may not know how to separate themselves and then they just make everything worse. You know, whereas your friends or the family you create they can sit there with you, you know, while you cry and and just be present with you. Um, I don't know if any of this was helpful. I really hope it was. But just understand that I'm in this journey with you. I suffer from depression and anxiety and I can relate to what it's like to feel like nobody gets it. And like people just make you feel bad about it. They make you feel worse about it. But you got to find your tribe, my friend. Find your tribe. And 
try your best to be around emotionally safe people when you're in a depressive episode. Avoid your family. I know that sounds terrible, but it's something I've had to learn to do. If I'm around my family when I'm feeling my worst, I know I'm going to leave on the brinks of feeling very, very dark. Very, very dark. So if you're in the middle of a major depressive episode, I would suggest avoid your family. Let them know, hey, it's not personal. I love y'all, but I just need a couple of days so that I can get, you know, get through my depression. Because it will, it will be a trigger for you, even if they don't intend it to be. And I can assure you, they probably don't intend it to be. I can assure you, it isn't intentional. It all just goes back to poor coping skills on their part that they probably learned as children and never had the resources available to them to learn to challenge those poor coping skills. So next question how to overcome low self-esteem that question is another one that um i really felt that one as a matter of fact i feel it so much i'm about to take a water break okay water break was much needed for that one um Overcoming low self-esteem. My friend, I'm still overcoming it. (laughs) So I'm in that journey with you as well. Um, I have major, major body image issues because I am, you know, a bigger girl. Um, And as much as people tell me until they're blue in the face that I'm beautiful and I'm sexy the way that I am and that my curves are fabulous, I do not feel attractive. Um, What I can say to you and to myself is the following. We are our own worst critics. And as much as we think that low self-esteem often stems from a fear of rejection, from an underlying fear that other people are going to see you the way you see yourself. More often than not, other people either view you in a positive light or not nearly as negatively as you view yourself. Low self-esteem stems from projection. We are projecting our fear about what other people think about us onto them. Now, I can go back in time and say low self-esteem is something that starts with childhood because it does. Your parents build your self-esteem. They build it. And if they do a good job at building it, it's very hard to tear down when you're an adult. That's just facts that I'm stating right now. But if your parents did a crappy job of building your self-esteem, It's like building armor. Self-esteem is like your armor. So let's say your parents did a great job building your self-esteem. You have this armor around you. It's strong armor. You go to school, people bully you, people say things to you. This armor is strong. The bullying might hurt once in a while, but it won't penetrate the armor. You won't internalize it the same way as a person who, whose parents did not develop said armor, and now all of this commentary and all of this meanness and this cruelty they're being exposed to, it does go inside. It is being internalized. So, whew. Self-esteem is about retraining your brain. My friend, I want you to read up on cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay? It is a tried and true therapeutic intervention. And it's great for self-esteem issues. I try to implement it for myself. 
Like there are days that I'll leave the house and I will be feeling myself. I'll be like, I love this whole outfit. I love my makeup today. I'm feeling pretty. I'm feeling good. Look at me. I'm slaying. And then someone takes a bad picture of me and it's over. And I think I'm hideous for the rest of the day. And then I will sit there and I will dwell on that. I will ruminate on that thought that I'm ugly because the picture said I was ugly. So then I go back and I challenge myself. And I say to myself, Olivia, when you left the house, you thought you looked good. All night, you thought you looked good. Can it just be that a bad picture is just a bad picture and doesn't define how you were feeling about yourself the entire night before this photo was taken? Constant positive self-talk is the only way to overcome self-esteem issues. And you have to be proactive about it. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not just, oh... I'm going to tell myself I'm pretty today and then forget about it the rest of the week. No, 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 no. It's every time you have a negative thought about your body or your appearance, it's you telling yourself, wait a minute, hold on. Why is this coming up for me right now? And is this really realistic? The way that I'm seeing myself right now. You have to combat low self-esteem with constant self-talk and challenging yourself because you're beautiful by the way I can't say your name because I have to protect your identity but you are beautiful and you have every reason to think that you're beautiful but again It isn't the same coming from another person. You have to believe that. And that is the journey. And um, what I can say to you and to me is that you should try to be as forgiving and as kind to others and as compassionate As kind and as loving and forgiving as you are to others, you should be to yourself. And that's still a work in progress for me. And there's plenty of times that I'll see another big girl and be like, oh my God, she is pretty. She's fierce. But then I look in the mirror and I think I'm disgusting. How does that make sense? How much you want to bet if I wasn't me and I was someone else and I saw me, I'd be like, yes, girl, get your life together. Look at you looking good. We are our own worst critics. And we need to treat ourselves with the same respect, courtesy, and love that we treat others. If not more so. How to stop caring what people think. Again, another one that I haven't fully mastered. I care a lot what people think. Um, I am a people pleaser by my very nature. An approval seeker by my very nature. Um, This is going to be, I think, even more difficult for me to answer than the self-esteem one. Um, What I can say about this is... Feelings are not facts. A person may have a feeling about you that is negative... That feeling is not a fact. Once again, you don't have to internalize what they're saying just because they're saying it. It doesn't have to be true just because they're saying it or they're expressing an opinion or they're treating you a certain kind of way. A person's feelings about you have everything to do with them and nothing to do with you. Nine times out of ten. Now, here's what I'm saying. And here's what I always say. Words to live by. 
really pay attention to who the criticism is coming from. Is it constructive? Is it someone that you know loves you, cares for you? Someone who adds value to your life that's giving you feedback? If that's the case, perk up your ears and listen. Because you know that person means well for you and has done right by you in the past. I'm not saying you need to take their advice or listen to every single thing they say and call it the word of God. But be respectful enough to give them your time because they have proven to you that they care about you and they are respectfully and constructively addressing it with you. Now, if it's someone that's negative, bitter, unhappy, miserable, and they're spewing negativity, for real, we gonna listen to that? I have to ask myself this too, because apparently I do listen to that. So just focus on who it's coming from, the feedback, and care what people think when the people involved are people that are good to you, that only want what's best for you. But if it's someone that's mean-spirited, unkind, isn't adding value to your life anyway, okay. You don't think much of me? Works out, because I don't think much of you, boo. So I guess we're even. And it's crazy because I want everyone to like me. Even people that I don't like, I want them to like me too. And it's like, how does that even make sense? I don't like them. So why do I even want them to like me? Who cares? It makes no freaking sense. Also, at the risk of sounding cliche, it's what you think of yourself that matters. Constantly do a lot of self-analyzing and self-evaluating. And you, if you're real familiar with yourself, the good, the bad, the ugly, your flaws, your shortcomings, your virtues, your strengths, if you're familiar with all of that, when someone comes and says some stuff to you, you're going to handle it well, most of the time, because it's kind of like the movie Eight Mile. I don't know if any of you have seen that movie, but, um, At the end of the movie, Eminem pretty much does his whole rap where he insults himself because he knows that the other person is going to say all of these things about him. So he beats him to the punch and he's like, I know what you're going to say about me, so I'm going to say it for you. So then when it was the other guy's turn to, to rap battle him, he had nothing to say. So if you know yourself and you own your truth, Thank you, Jeannie Mai, for that. (laughs) Because that's her quote, not mine. Own you before they do. So if you own your truth, there is nothing anybody can use to hurt you. People will literally be like, oh my God, Olivia, you're so sensitive sometimes. I'll be like, yeah, I know, right? Oh my God, Olivia, like, you have low self-esteem. Girl, you got daddy issues. I know, right? Can't use nothing against me. Because I already know. Sorry, mamita. Sorry, papito. Hashtag not sorry. All right, next question. So this is an interesting question from a friend of mine. And I love him because he's literally listened to every single one of my episodes. And I love it. He gives me feedback every time he listens. He's been such such an amazing support um, through all of this. It's been awesome to have him on this journey with me. So he asks, is marriage and or relationships for everyone? Um, man, you know, when he first sent me that question, I wasn't sure how to answer it off the top and I'm still not sure how to answer it. Um, the optimist in me, and I'm sure he's laughing at this part. The optimist in me wants to say, yeah, of course, marriage and relationships are for everyone. But uh, no, I don't think that that's true. No, I don't think marriage and relationships are for everyone. Um, 
So now, let's break this down. There's different types of relationships and there's different types of marriages. There's an open marriage or an open relationship, uh, you know, where people, you know, have relations, sexual relations with more than one person, including their partner. Uh, There's all different types of relationships and marriages out there. So I'm not going to sit here and uh, go through each one. You know what I mean? Just pretty much open marriage and a monogamous marriage or relationship where it's just you and the other person. So we're just going to focus on that. I'm not going to go into the open relationships and all of that because that's a whole other uh, ball field that I have zero experience in. I actually um, do know someone that um, is in an open relationship that I'm sure, you know, if given the opportunity, would love to share his experience with you. Um, but I have no experience in this field. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to leave that completely out of this discussion. So I'm going to refer to a relationship or a marriage being strictly monogamous between two people that are committed strictly to one another. Okay. With no outside, uh, you know, no outside factors involved. Um, I really believe that anyone can be in a relationship But most people will never be in a successful one because there's too much ego and there's too much pride and pride and ego become more important than sustaining, maintaining and nurturing a relationship. Even in the dating world, It's like this, this BS about, oh, I'm going to wait for him or her to text me first because, you know, they got to show me they're interested. Because God forbid someone else makes the first move. The worst thing that could happen, what? You get rejected. But at least you tried. But most people don't want to do that. I've been guilty. Guilty as charged. Where I've been like, nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to text first, whatever, whatever. Obviously, that doesn't apply to me now because I've been in a relationship for a long time. But it's been known to happen in the past. And I just think there's so much ego and so much pride involved. And it just completely takes over everything else. And I think that people don't really listen to their partners. I think people are so focused in what they can get out of a relationship and not focused enough on what they can do for their partner, what they can add to their partner's lives, what value they're going to be adding to their lives. How can I inspire this person? How can I raise this person up? How can I encourage this person? How can I love this person better? How can I be a better partner for this particular person? Those are not questions that people really ask themselves. People are more along the lines of, what are you going to do for me? Which, hey, listen, there's nothing wrong with that. You should have your expectations of a partner. But I just think that people are inherently selfish in relationships. And I think that until... There is more selflessness, more willingness to compromise, to really listen to your partner and what it is they want and what it is they're communicating to you, Um, to really just be willing to give a person love without focusing so much on what you can get out of them. relationships are doomed to fail and I think that if you're not a good communicator if you're not an effective communicator and more importantly if you're not someone that's open receptive to feedback I think receptiveness to feedback is numero uno 
That is the most important thing. If you are not receptive to feedback, don't be in a relationship of any kind. Don't have friends. Don't get married. Don't date. Don't do it. Because what's the point? You're not receptive to feedback. You don't want to hear. You don't want to hear other people's thoughts, feelings, needs, wants, and desires. You don't want to hear it. You're not here for that. So don't have friends, don't get married, and don't be in a relationship. That's my two cents as far as people like that are concerned. Now, I know the person who asked me this question, and I think he's more than capable of having a healthy relationship. So this does not apply to, this does not apply to him at all. But people out there, if you're not receptive to feedback, you really need to think about your life. You need to reevaluate some things because boo-boo... It's going to be rough out there for you. You're not going to keep a friend. You're not going to keep a partner. You're not going to keep nobody. And the people you do keep are not going to be happy with you. I mean, if you're okay with that, great. But take feedback. Put your ego aside. Put your pride aside. If you get into an argument with someone, don't be like, I'm not going to call them till they call me. Just freaking call them. Hey, what's up? I didn't like the way that turned out. Can we have a redo? Can we try that again? So, no. Relationships and marriages are not for everyone. If you're not receptive to feedback and willing to openly communicate, be vulnerable, be open, and put your pride and your ego aside. No. Don't be in one. And I'm referring to most human beings now. So, yeah, guys, most human beings should not be in relationships or marriages. Sorry. I mean, they're still going to do it. And that's why divorce rates are going up and up and up and up. Sadly. So, yeah, there's that. Okay, man, this has been fun. My last question And I loved this question. And I figured I would end on more of a sexy note, if you will. What makes sex good for your mental health? Number one, if it's consensual. No one should be forcing you to do anything against your will. Number two, if your partner tries to meet your sexual needs, conversations need to be had, open conversations. Hey, this is what I like in the bedroom. Let me tell you about it. I like this. I like foreplay. I like doggy style. I like missionary. I like this. I like that. Speak about it. Communicate your needs to your partner. And that's how sex is going to be enjoyable enough for you, which will therefore be good for your mental health because sexual intercourse does release endorphins in your brain, which lead to um, happy thoughts due to increased mood. You're welcome, in case you didn't know. So communicate with your partner. Tell them what you like. Be willing to explore each other and experiment try different things um nothing that's going to make you feel uncomfortable or that you don't want to do again i reiterate but if you're comfortable and your partner's comfortable and you're both comfortable try different things have fun um Something that I go through a lot, now I'm disclosing, during sex is I get anxious. I I have anxiety right before I have sex. Once I start having sex, it's a party. It's a great time. But until I get there, there's anxiety. Why is there anxiety? Oh my gosh. So many reasons. (laughs) You know, um, 
I'm getting naked, I'm feeling vulnerable, what if I'm not feeling myself today, you know, um, what if I don't organize, uh, organism, oh my gosh, that's a new word, what if I don't orgasm today, or what if it hurts today, um, whatever, you know, like, and the what if it hurts today, I should elaborate on because I don't want anyone listening to this and thinking, um, anything crazy. Um, I have experienced painful sex, not just with my current partner, but with other partners in the past. Um, I have something called vaginismus, which is when your muscles contract, um, during penetrative, penetrative sex. Um, I can't even speak today. So during sexual intercourse, your muscles contract, not contract, because contracting is good for you and for the guy, (laughs) but spasm would be the more appropriate word. It creates like a muscle spasm, which can make sex painful. It doesn't happen all the time, but it happens pretty frequently and it happens more with. I'm going to put you out there, um, partner of mine, in a positive way, when your partner is on the larger side, um, when he's well endowed. So when your partner's well endowed, I'm, I'm blushing right now, it can make it more, uh, more painful. So anyway, I have sexual anxiety. I think, is it going to hurt? Oh my gosh. How, how am I looking right now? Am I feeling myself? Am I, am I looking cute right now? You know? Am I going to orgasm? Like, and again, no shade against any man. I will never be that woman who badmouths a man's sexual performance. I have had very positive experiences in my life. I have not had a bad one. Now, it is difficult for women to orgasm. No matter how good the guy is, no matter how much he's bringing it, you know, no matter how great his skills are, it's difficult. It's difficult. Not every woman can orgasm. Okay. Ladies, are you listening? It's normal. 70, 70% of women do not orgasm through sexual intercourse. That's a high number. Okay. So don't feel crazy. Cause I did, I did for a long time until I realized it was normal. I'm not saying I never do, but it's difficult for me and that has nothing to do with the guy no shade against any man I've ever been with you know I have a difficult time because I have a difficult time that has nothing to do with anyone so all that to say I loved this question because sex is great for your mental health when you're with the right person when you're having sex for the right reasons don't have sex to keep a man, ladies, gentlemen, don't have sex because you think it's going to make a difference in your relationship. If your relationship is on the rocks, have sex because you love each other. Or if you're not in love and you're just having a good time, have sex because you're both comfortable with each other and you're both having a good time. Um, and just enjoy yourselves. And don't be afraid to be a little freaky, you know? Explorer, enjoy. Sex is fun. And let's talk about it more often with less of a taboo. I remember there was this class I did, and I'm going to end on this note. I, I took a class, a human sexuality class. My God, I wish I remembered the professor's name. But he literally was like, we need to stop talking about sex in such a such an immature context we say fucking we say boning we say slamming we say smashing like we can't just be like having sex we're gonna have sex this weekend or we're gonna smash this weekend like let's just talk about it the way it is I think adding all these other phrases it's just to mask our discomfort with talking about sex And it shouldn't be an uncomfortable thing to talk about. It's a natural, normal thing. 
it is as natural and as normal as eating dinner. Okay? Sex is great. So, with that said, I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I loved recording it. I'm super into it. I don't even want to stop, but I'm running out of time. We only get 60 minutes on this thing, so. (laughs) And I'm sure y'all don't want to keep hearing me talk, so. Ah, this was so much fun. I look forward to doing another one of these soon. And feel free to continue to submit questions. And when I do another one of these, I will pick one of your questions. And it'll be great. I'm so glad that people actually took the time to submit questions. Um, It means a lot to me that you guys are seeking my feedback, that you think that my feedback is valuable enough to you. It just means the world. And know that all these questions that you asked me, especially the ones about, you know, caring what people think, the low self-esteem, and when your family makes you feel guilty for being depressed, those three, I'm in that journey with you. I really am. So, until next time, sending you all so much love, and I wish I could hug all of you. I really, really do. I'm a hugger, by the way. Hope that's cool. And just thank you guys so much for for everything. Just for all of it. It's been... It's been a great ride so far. So until next time. And don't forget to tell your friends about my podcast. If you enjoy it, maybe they will too.